Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on July 24th, 2016, on the basis of Mark chapter 6, verses 35 through 44. So last week we started this new worship series, and I introduced to you this diagram that was in the shape of a pyramid, referred to as the hierarchy of human need. I had hoped to show that up on the screen again today. The hierarchy of human need, this this pyramid that was first introduced by psychologist Abraham Maslow all the way back in 1943. Again, the basic idea is that all of us as human beings have these different layers of need and that these needs need to be satisfied starting at the very bottom of the pyramid and then working our way up to the top. You went home and, and studied and memorized that pyramid this week, didn't you? Okay, just in case you didn't, here's, here's a quick review. So at the very bottom of the pyramid are our physiological needs. Things like air, food, water, the basic necessities of life. Next layer up in the pyramid is safety. So personal protection, our health, our financial security. Next layer up right in the middle of the pyramid is love and belonging. The need to have people in your life who love and accept you for who you are. Next up the list is esteem, the need to have a sense of value and worth. And then finally, right at the very top of the pyramid, self-actualization, the sense that our lives have some sort of bigger purpose than what's right in front of us and the need to achieve that purpose. So today we continue on in that series and And we're talking about this miracle that's commonly referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. This entire crowd of hungry people is given a free meal by Jesus. So if I were to ask you which layer of the pyramid are we going to be talking about, you'd probably think the very bottom one, those physiological needs, those basic necessities of life. And maybe that sounds like really good news. Because maybe you're thinking, boy, things sure have been tight lately. There were those unexpected car repairs and that unexpected trip to the ER, and now I found out that one of the kids needs braces, and so Pastor Bauer, just just tell me what I need to do and tell me what I need to say to get a miracle like this. Well, here's some bad news. Actually, by the end of the day, we'll we'll hopefully see that it's good news, but it kind of sounds like bad news. What sounds like bad news is that this miracle is not about Jesus giving a free meal to a bunch of his followers. No, this miracle is actually about Jesus feeding a bunch of other people through his followers. And so as we look at this miracle, the lesson we're going to learn is not that that Jesus is going to give the same kind of miracle to us, but that Jesus wants to meet the needs of other people through us. I feel like maybe I need to back that statement up from these verses a little bit. So if this miracle were really about Jesus feeding a bunch of hungry people, here's how it would have gone. It would have sounded a little bit more like like our first lesson, actually. As it got to be late in the day, Jesus would have waited and waited until people's stomachs started grumbling. And until people started 
complaining and letting him know that they were hungry. Then he would have stood up in front of the entire group and and made himself the center of everyone's attention. He probably would have raised his voice and maybe said a few things, and then he would have just snapped his fingers and poof, a plate full of food for everyone who was there. If this miracle is really about Jesus just feeding a bunch of hungry people, here's not how it would have gone. Jesus wouldn't have let his disciples be the ones to notice that there was a problem developing. They said, Jesus, this is a remote place and it's already very late. Jesus wouldn't have let his disciples first suggest their best guess at a solution to the problem. They said, send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And finally, when Jesus himself suggested his solution to the problem, he wouldn't have involved those disciples in the process. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. See, Jesus didn't simply want to provide for the needs of all of these people. He wanted to provide for the needs of all of these people through his disciples. He took that work of providing for all of their needs and he shared it with his 12 disciples. So friends, as you try and see yourself in this parable and learn the lessons that Jesus wants to teach you, don't see yourself as one of those hungry people hoping for a free handout from Jesus. See yourself as one of those 12 disciples through whom Jesus wants to provide for the needs of the hundreds thousands of people who are in need in our world. Just like he did here, Jesus takes that work of providing for for all of the needs that people have and he shares that with us. Jesus makes us his eyes in the world to see people who lack, to see people who are weak and defenseless. He makes us his ears in the world, to listen for the groans of those who are suffering and for the cries of those who are grieving. He makes us his hands in the world to share what we have been given, to pick up those who have fallen down, to embrace those who are lonely or distraught. He makes us his mouth in the world to speak his truth, his love, his forgiveness, and his salvation. Jesus takes that work of providing for people's needs and he shares it with us. Do you see the problem? I think it took the disciples about 0.347 milliseconds to see the problem with Jesus' plan. You give them something to eat, he said. Unfortunately, the translation we have here from Mark sort of masks the sarcasm that was in their reply to Jesus. Basically what they said was, yeah, great plan, Jesus. Yeah, let's go out and spend more than a half year's wages just so we can have enough food to feed all of these people. Brilliant idea. Was Jesus out of touch with reality for suggesting that these disciples could possibly feed all those people? No, and in fact, he wanted to confront them with the very specific reality of the situation at hand. See, they gave their best guess at how much it would take. Jesus wanted them to know the exact number. And so he said, go and find out how much you have. 
Go and add up what is at your disposal. That was the easy part. Five loaves of bread, two small fish, one boy in that whole crowd had come prepared and had come with some food. Then Jesus says, go and have everyone sit down in groups, in groups of 50 and in groups of 100 so that you know exactly how much is needed. Approximately 5,000 men. As I mentioned last week, that means 5,000 families. 10, 15, 20,000 people possibly. An entire sports arena full of people. They had, given them, they had given their best guess on what it would cost, but they were probably short. It would probably take more money than what they thought once they had added everything up. Five loaves and two fish was all they had. 20,000 hungry people. Jesus made them painfully aware of just how much was needed and just how little they had. So friends, when, when Jesus asks us to be his hands and his mouth and his eyes and his ears in our needy world, it's not because he's out of touch with reality. In fact, just like he did here, he wants us to crunch the numbers on that reality, to know exactly how much need there is, to add up the number of people in your family who need food on their plates, clothes on their backs, a roof over their head, to add on to that when your friend calls and needs time to talk because she's having boy problems, to add to that when dad stops by because he's just received some devastating news from the doctor, to add to that the ever-increasing expectations that your boss is making, including more and more hours at the office, and then to add to that all of the countless people out there who are living in squalor, who are victims of violence and abuse, who are going through life without any hope, without any comfort, without any knowledge of Jesus, and ultimately on the path to destruction. Jesus doesn't just share with us the work that he wants to do through us. He, he shows us that work. Then go ahead and, and add up just how much you have at your disposal. Know with absolute certainty that this week you get 168 hours. You can't make a single one more. And in fact, by the time you walk out the door today, 11 of them are already gone. Know with absolute certainty that money doesn't grow on trees and that the only thing you have to give is what you make. Know with absolute certainty that as you think about yourself and the way God made you, you are, you are limited in terms of the power you have and the influence you have and the courage you have and the wisdom you have and the ability that you have to say the right thing at the right time. Add all of that up. Jesus wants you to come to grips with that reality. He wants to make it painfully obvious just how much is needed and how little it appears that we have. Why? Because then when the job gets done, there's no confusion as to how it got done. Note very carefully again how Jesus proceeds in this story. He doesn't just snap his fingers and make the food appear. He actually works with what they have, as inadequate as it appears to be. After looking up to heaven and blessing that food, he then puts the food back in the hands of his disciples. He has them distribute it to every single person who is there as much as they could possibly need. And then he doesn't stop there. 
he allows each one of those disciples to gather an entire basket full of leftovers. You see, Jesus makes us painfully aware of the difference between how much is needed and how much we have simply so that it becomes patently obvious that the difference is him. After we've done all of our adding and come to the conclusion that we don't have enough, that's when we realize that our only hope is his power to multiply. You know what Jesus does in this parable, the the process and the principles that he puts into play, there's a fancy term that people who study the Bible use for it. It's called the theology of the cross. Basically, the idea is that God deliberately chooses to use what appears to be very, very little to accomplish very, very much. And there's a reason it's called the theology of the cross. It's because the cross is the prime example of God working in this way. Think about it. On the cross, God used weakness. He used pain and suffering. He used defeat. And ultimately, he used death. And he turned those things into forgiveness, into victory, into life, and into salvation. Not just for 20,000 people, but for a whole planet full of people. In fact, if the numbers and if the math of what Jesus ever asks you to do ever makes you uneasy or uncomfortable, just take a second to do the math of the cross. Add up every single sin you've ever committed, every self-centered thought, every me-first action, every dishonest or fraudulent word, every instance of cold indifference to someone in need or of lack of compassion for someone who is suffering. Add up every sin. That's the payment God needed. And what did he have to work with? One. One man for the job. One hope for the entire world. One life of perfect obedience. One life of perfect compassion and care. One willing sacrifice. One victim of suffering and death. And then on Easter Sunday morning, God declared that that one had been multiplied into forgiveness for each and every sin. Friends, what Jesus is asking us to do is no different. When he asks us to be his eyes and his ears, his hands and his voice in this world, it's not like the math of it is some mystery In terms of what we have at our disposal, our time, our energy, our money, our resources, it's all very finite. And when we start to think about the needs of our family, our friends, our community, and our world, it's not even close. But that's exactly the point Jesus is trying to make. That's exactly the reality he wants to confront us with. Because then after we've done all of our adding and subtracting, there's only one possible hope left, right? Jesus' power to multiply. You go give them something to eat, 
he said. At the time, could anything have sounded more ridiculous to those disciples? And yet that's exactly what ended up happening, right? They gave each and every person something to eat with leftovers to spare. Friends, when Jesus asks you to do the same, don't ignore reality. Don't shy away from the math. Do all of that adding and subtracting and become painfully aware of the difference between how much is needed and how little it appears that you have. But then know that you have a God who makes it his business to multiply. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.